our short series in 2 Timothy. Um, if you were here last week, joining us for the first time and heard what Ling said, Iggy preached with us to tell us about being unashamed before the gospel, being unashamed with our friends and family about the gospel, and knowing that, like Timothy, we will be on guard and be bold to share our faith and know that suffering will come through the gospel. Today I'll be reading 2 Timothy, verse 1 to 13, in the New International Version. So please flip with me to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. Starting from verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with the eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks, music team, and thanks, um, Enrique and Jerry. You guys did such good summaries, honestly. I didn't, didn't even know why I'm up here. Um, Enrique, that, that was a perfect summary, just for the kids. And if you can explain it to kids, you can explain it to anyone. So Enrique's preaching next week. Really look forward to that. Um, so, yeah, make sure you're here for that, and uh, you'll understand it very well, I'm sure. Now, I wonder what you thought of that discuss discussion question just now. When was the time you gave up on something? Hopefully some, that wasn't too sobering of a question for 9.30 on a Sunday morning. Your answers uh, weren't super deep, didn't pull something out from the depths. But look, I'll share a story. I'll start off there. Many of you probably don't know, but I used to run hurdles back when I was in high school. And uh, I've had a lot of people over the years ask me, Zeke, why would you run full speed at a stationary object? And... Um, Look, I still haven't figured that one out yet, but I think it's a metaphor for my life, um, whatever that means. And I wasn't particularly good, nor was I particularly bad, but I was good enough to get to the national qualifiers. And when I found that out, I trained really, really, really
my coach wouldn't let us off. We had to train four times a week, rain or shine. And if we were doing bad that session, he would just up and leave and say, you guys aren't worth my time today. Um, he even made us race his German Shepherd at the end of every session. And, um, you know, we never beat the dog, of course, but it was always a good time. But eventually the national qualifiers came around. Um, race as best as I could. And I missed the cutoff time by two-tenths of a second. Um, so close. Uh, coach said it was windy. wasn't my fault. Chin up, son. You know, come back next year. Um, but, look, I'm no Michael Jordan. This is not a comeback story. I didn't go back next year and get those two-tenths. I, I quit. Why did I quit? It wasn't a good reason whatsoever. Um, he sa coach said, oh, look, next year, come, come with me. I won't train at your school anymore. Come to UQ. Um, and train with me there with all the uni athletes, and um, yeah, that's what we've got to do next year. And I thought, oh, look, I don't want to leave the school campus and catch a walk, you know, a kilometer, catch the ferry, go to UQ, another campus, train till after dark and come home every day. No thanks. That's too much of a hassle. It wasn't worth it for me, so I quit. Now, I'm sure all of us have had very similar smallish sort of moments like that where we quit things because it just got a little bit too hard or a little bit too inconvenient for our schedule. Maybe when you were young, it was playing an instrument or playing a sport. Maybe it's not sticking up for someone when we see them being spoken unkindly to. Or even as parents, when we let ourselves go and yell at our kids out of pure frustration. Whatever the case is, I'm sure we've all had little moments of giving up when we just thought it wasn't worth it. Well, today, we'll be opening up the book of 2 Timothy and looking at chapter 2 and seeing that there are indeed very, there are things very much worth pursuing and sticking to and not giving up. Uh, so stick with me um, as, we op as we open God's word. Uh, there's a lot to get through. So as a reminder for where we are uh, in this preaching series, the missionary Paul, after a very, very long career as a missionary, He's now in jail, and he's writing what's likely to be his final letter before he's executed. I don't know what your final words will be, but he's chosen to write them to Timothy, his protege. So you can imagine how important these last words are going to be. And as Pastor Iggy shared last week, Paul opens up his letter to Timothy and says, Hey, mate, this gospel thing is worth it. So, so worth defending. Don't be ashamed of it. Take pride in it bit longer, one full chapter and not quite into Aussie lingo, but let's dive into what comes next. Read with me, chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, stepping into Timothy's shoes here, he's probably not in the best of spirits. His mentor is about to be executed and in the immediate verses beforehand, we see that a lot of Paul's supporters, actually all of the ones in Asia, uh, so all the Asians, but not the Asians we know here, um, they've left him. And Paul now turns to Timothy and says, despite all these hardships, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Or another way to read it is, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's constantly reminding and encouraging Timothy to be strong. Across his two letters to Timothy, 
We see Paul tell Timothy to stand strong 25 times. Endure. Rely on God's strength. This strength which he's made available to us. And more importantly, take strength, take this strength only, only from the grace that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. The grace that God's, ex- God's extended to us when he sent his son to die on the cross for us, for our sins, not by anything we've done to deserve it, but by his grace alone, so that our relationship could be restored and we have eternal life. Now, I'm not going to spend too long on this point because Pastor Iggy already talked about it last week. He did a great job unpacking it, so I encourage you, if you want to refresh or you haven't heard it, jump back to the podcast um, and listen to that sermon. But Paul's message here is clear today. When times are hard and it seems like nothing is left in the tank, if all your friends have left you or the world seems like it's against you, endure. Let the grace of Jesus Christ be your source of strength. Lean on the fact that God sees you so precious and so valuable that he'd sacrifice his own son for you. And not only that, but his grace extends to lavishing all of you to give all of all on you the gifts and strength for you to be creative, for you to enjoy this world and soak in the world that he's made for us. All of this is grace. So take heart and be strengthened in it. And Paul continues. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This message is not something to be kept to ourselves. What Paul has charged Timothy to share, the gospel, is for Timothy to pass on to reliable people who can then pass it on to other people. Whilst we can think Paul's writing to Timothy and only Timothy here, for the purpose of leading a church and you know going on to the next generation, I think we can apply this message to all leaders and by implication, anyone who walks the Christian life. It's everyone's job to pass on the good news, isn't it? We all have a role to play in this great commission. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's a command, not just for the disciples, but for all people. That's our mission. The core purpose of why we're here to make to those disciples of Jesus for God's glory. And what's Timothy to look for when he passes on this gospel? Not someone smart, popular, strong, good-looking. Timothy's to look for reliable people, or in some other versions it says faithful people. So I just want to encourage you here. You don't need a theology degree from Bible college Though if you do want to study formally, and you have, that's fantastic. Uh, it's great if you want to be equipped in God's Word and know how to use it better. That's fantastic. But you don't need it. You don't need formal ministry training. Or you don't have to feel qualified after only being in church for 10 years and knowing everyone in the church and how it all runs. You don't need all of that before you feel called and confident to pass on the good news of Christ. We see repeatedly in the Bible that Jesus doesn't always choose the most capable people uh, for his ministry. Jesus' disciples were all fishermen. That's a class of trades that weren't looked very kindly upon back in the day. Paul himself, he was an enemy of Christ. He dragged Christians down to the street and stoned them. Jesus even met a Samaritan at a well. For those who don't know what a Samaritan is, they were reviled by Israelites 
kind of like how Queenslanders revile New South Walesmen during State of Origin, but, you know, with centuries of history behind that. And he shared with her the good news. What did she do next? She ran straight to a village and told every person there, and they all came out and saw Jesus. She wasn't formally trained, was she? So as we think about grace that we have in Christ Jesus, let's be strengthened in it. And we'll come back to this point later on. Endure in it, but also remember, this is not something to keep to ourselves. This good news and source of strength is something to be shared and passed on. Now, I know I rushed over that quickly, but I want to get to the, the crux of this passage. And luckily, Paul doesn't just leave us with that message of be strengthened. He tells us how we are to be strengthened, followed by the truth behind why we should be strengthened. And like as if it dropped out of heaven, Paul drops three metaphors right here for us to consider. First, he says, verse 3, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. We as Christians will all suffer. There's no doubt about that. And what Paul says here, endure, suffer like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's not suffering as a whiny husband, a leaky love tank, or a disappointed child. That's suffering as a soldier. And you know soldiers, you've watched enough American war mil- uh, military movies or British ones. A soldier's purpose is to complete the mission no matter the cost. Good soldiers expect that they'll suffer for the mission and don't quit when they get hurt. Now, Paul's not telling us to be stoic or not admit that we have feelings and that we are weak at times, but what he's saying is, Don't be surprised if you suffer. Understand, there will be hardship. It's part of the Christian life. When we expect to follow Christ, we should expect to suffer. Jesus said so himself. Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross to follow me. Can you imagine a soldier that quits his job merely because a training sergeant yelled something at them that offended them? That wouldn't make for a very good war movie, would it? What about a soldier that walks onto a battlefield and when they pop up from the trenches and get shot at, they say, was it something I said? No, a soldier expects that they're in a battle and they'll push on for the sake of the mission. Paul continues, let no one serving as a soldier get entangled in civilian affairs, but rather try to please his commanding officer. Now, soldiers have to give up many things. Many bad things, such as their pride, their selfishness, but many good things that civilians would consider good, such as comforts of home or budding career elsewhere. And I'm not saying we shouldn't care about these things, because we are still at the end of the day civilians, but worrying about whether you have a fulfilling job, how close your house is to fulfilling your dreams, how good your grades are, these are all civilian things that don't matter in the end. We can't let our life be all about this. There's much more to it. We can't get distracted from the main mission, which is to please our commanding officer, God. Suffering is going to happen. Expect it. Focus and endure on the mission. Secondly, 
compared to the athlete. Verse 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Isn't it funny that today we many uh, encourage spirituality as long as we don't become fanatics about it? Ironically, it's the same culture that celebrates athletes who are intensely, intensely committed to their craft. So much so that they win multiple championships and even their trainer level that even awes their own peers. We celebrate that, but not spirituality. Should we not then also treat our own mission as athletes treat their mission? Athletes do everything to prepare their bodies. They feed it the right things, do physical exercises every day, get themselves in the right mindset, get those coaches. And I wonder... When we approach our Christian life, do we treat it like an athlete does? Do we prepare ourselves spiritually in the same way that they prepare themselves? Are we feeding ourselves healthy food? Or are we just eating the bare minimum once a week when we come to church on Sundays? So that we barely survive. Do we see the Bible for all the health that it gives us? how it gets us in the right mindset every day. What's more, the athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. In 1980, Rosie Ruiz shocked the world when she won the Boston Marathon. She had a time of 2 hours 31. Anyone run marathons here? Do they know? Yeah? You run marathons? Awesome. Is that a good time? Yeah? Oh, it's a fantastic time. It was so good that she came first, and she shocked the world because she beat her last run time, which was 20 minutes later, so 2 hours 50. A bit suspicious, wasn't it? And when she got to the finish line, she actually wasn't really sweating at all. That's odd. No one saw how she came to be, but somehow she crossed the finish line. After some investigations, it was found that she'd actually rode the subway and hopped off a few miles before the finish line, and that's how she won. Her crown was obviously stripped away from her, um, and later on in life, she just did fraudulent thing after fraudulent thing. But as Christians, it's the same thing. We can't run the race according to our own rules. We can't just make up the rules and expect good things to happen. We can't indulge in sin every week and expect that we'll just confess it on a Sunday and it'll be okay. As if God's just going to come up to us and say, ah, you silly rascal, you'll be right. No, we need to be serious about our faith and compete properly for the race. When the going gets tough, don't give up. Train your mind. Bounce back from failures. And when we do finally reach that goal, how sweet that victor's crown will be. Let's move on. The third image. Verse 6. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Unlike the soldier or the athlete, there's nothing glamorous about being a farmer, is there? Now, being in Australia, I feel like I've been exposed to a number of farmers, whether it's through the Eka or through, you know, living on their farm stays or whatever. But in my time getting to know these farmers, I know there's all sorts of farmers farmers, cranky farmers, 
glass half full farmers, glass half, what's the other one? Empty farmers, farmers that complain about the weather constantly. But never ever have I met a farmer that was a lazy farmer. Never have I met someone that wasn't hardworking. If they don't get the fields raked, they can't get the seed in the ground, and then they can't get the crops growing enough in time for it to be the right amount of health and right amount of moisture, and if the crops aren't growing, there's no harvest. They don't have time to sit around. They don't have time to be lazy. Being a farmer isn't glamorous. And the nation's best farmer, certainly not a celebrity, or not one that I know, but he worked just as hard doing the same thing over and over again. It's tedious. It's boring. It's unexciting. But what's the value of hard work as a Christian? Well, Paul says that the hardworking farmer gets his first share of the crops. Paul was a hardworking guy. His ministry would have been far less if he had not worked as hard as he did. And no one can expect something for nothing, right? So Paul had just been satisfied being saved by Christ and just living his life, doing his own thing. Where would the fruits of his ministry be? Even non-Christians know that there's nothing more rewarding than seeing an impact and working hard and impact being made on someone else's life. How much more if we make impact on other people's lives that are eternal consequence? Surely that'd be worth it. Surely. By working hard here on earth now, we get to see God's kingdom grow as more people get to know the grace that we have in Christ. Now, it's not work hard to get Christ. It's work hard so that other people can also get to know Christ. So what do all these characters have in common? Three random pictures. None of these guys do it for the journey or for the process. They do it because they have a mission now and they know that the ultimate reward is to come. We give ourselves when we're tired because we have a reward waiting in heaven that is so sweet that when that day finally comes, it will be worth it. Now, I know people are all on different points of the journey. I get that. People have different gifts and there's room for doubting and there's room for failing. I get that. There's also grace for mistakes because that's what following Christ is like. But there's also hard work as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer. And I think we could all have a little bit more farmer in us, hey? Be strong. Endure. And if none of what I just said makes sense to you, don't worry. Because it says, all these things I've said to you, reflect on them. God will let you know what it all means. It says it right there. Of course, easier said than done, right? Paul knows this too. So he reminds Timothy, endure. These are pretty pictures, but what's important? Remember Christ. So in this next paragraph, Paul highlights Christ's work, Christ's word, Christ's character. And these are the foundations of why we have these things. All three combined is what gives us the strength to endure. Paul says, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from heaven. 
this is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's work is not finished. Keep your attention on Jesus Christ. When times are hard, you're suffering, you feel like giving up, I want you to remember not just those pictures, but to remember Christ. That's what's important. And if you've forgotten about who Jesus is, let me remind you. This is Jesus, the descendant of David, who is the promised king that we've been waiting for thousands of years for, to fulfill a, fulfill a promise that was made all the way back in Genesis when sin entered the world. This Jesus is the one who would crush the serpent's head, take all the sins of the world, and make all things right again on that final day. I want you to remember Christ's work. Paul then moves on from Christ's work to Christ's word. He says, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not bound. Now we might feel like we're getting absolutely nowhere with our Christian lives. The world's against us. We've got to be careful what we say or else we'll be shot down, shouted down. Laws are being signed that we don't agree with. And you might even be thrown in jail one day. But no matter all the opposition, all the skeptics, philosophers, governments, God's word can't be bound. So what do we do with all this? What is our mission? We saw in our previous sermon series of Philippians, Paul's in the throes of death and he'd love nothing more than to die today, back then. How great would it be that he could join Christ and not have to suffer anymore? So in verse 10 he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, eternal impact. Paul continues to live so that he can continue helping others know the good news. And as we saw in the beginning of this chapter, our mission is to pass on that good news so that it may also be passed on to others. That's why Paul suffers and why he's in chains. Why do we keep sharing the gospel to our middle class friends and family who have everything they need? Why would we endure and make the kids wait before meals and before bed so we can teach them how to pray? Why as leaders would they show up week after week at Sunday school or life group when numbers are dwindling and it feels like the care factor is zero? Or why do we continue praying year after year for that person who just can't see what we see? We work tirelessly. We go out of our comfort zones, sacrifice our time and energy. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, there's a small chance they might also know Christ. We do all this to build up our friends, our kids, our colleagues, so that they may know and share in the riches of His grace as well. Isn't that worth it? Christ's work work is Christ's word. Paul now changes the pace with this trustworthy saying. From the tone, it was probably some old hymn. And it's funny, Paul inserts it here, kind of like when emails first came in and a lot of people had song lyrics at their footer. Or on the flip side, if anyone you know knows boys to men, they had a section right before the last chorus where they'd start speaking instead of singing to make some sort of point. No? Well, it's a technique is old as time and it works and Paul here does the same thing here is a trustworthy saying 
For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithless, for he cannot deny himself. But now we've switched to something more poetic, and there's more of a we language, which means that he's calling us to respond. If we die with him, we also live with him. When we become followers of Christ, we die to our own ideals and our own plans, and we live with Christ in our new life. Each of us sees our old life end with Jesus on the cross, and a new life begin with him when he's raised from the dead. Okay, understand that. If we endure, we will reign with him. Suffering is to be expected. We've spoken about that today. In some way or another, we will be rejected by the world. I've heard a good marker of the Christian life, which is, if everyone hates you, you're doing something wrong. And if everyone likes you, you're also doing something wrong. But we, nevertheless, we will be rejected. But we endure for that final day where we will reign with Christ. Next, if we deny him, Jesus will deny us in the end also. Now, this is a bit funny. We like eternity, don't we? If we die, we live. If we endure, we reign. But this one, if we deny him, he will also deny us. We can't neglect this, of course. If we deny Christ, he will deny us. Matthew 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, Jesus says, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Now, I could do a whole another 20 minutes on this, but the truth is, some will reject the faith. And pushing over this point, we go to the last part where Paul really gets to the heart. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The truth is that even if we deny him or some lose faith in him, this can't change who God is. Faithlessness cannot take away in any way from his love for us. Nothing we can do takes away from God's work or Christ's work. And he'll always open up his arms to us despite how many times we fail or reject him. And that's a marker of Christ's character. That's the God who we stake our trust on. So to conclude, when the going gets tough and we want to give up, there is something worth it. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Jesus. We are strong because of this grace, and by grace, we get to be strong. Second, work hard for the gospel so that others may also come to know him. And finally, remind yourself of Christ's work, Christ's word, and Christ's character. We endure because we have a God who has our backs even when we don't have his. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace in Christ Jesus that you've so awesomely lavished upon us. We thank you for this. That even when we in our faith wane, we thank you that you don't let go of us and that you remain faithful at all times. 
Help us to work hard for this gospel, to see the worth in it, that others may come to know you. And as we leave this place today, may we have hearts that endure. And we pray that you'll endure and help us to do so. So we pray this all in your son's most mighty and precious name. Amen. Now we come to our time of reflect and connect. Now we come